Hi, all. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. This one is a story I remember from a while ago that left an impression on me. Some say the story is absolute fiction and something out of a sci-fi novel, and some believe it's true. I tried to keep this a little shorter than most, but we'll see. Today's story is about a man named Paul Amadeus Dinak. Paul was a professor in 1921. He gets ill and falls into a deep one-year-long coma. When he awakens, boy, does he have a story to tell, except he doesn't tell anyone. Instead, he writes about his experience and where he was during that time. He didn't want to be known as a lunatic since he knew no one would believe him. Before he passed away, he gave his notes to his favorite student. And what he says happened during that time in the coma is truly unbelievable. Today, we're going to dive into both of this man's lives. My sources are listed in the description area of the video, but a majority of what I talk to you about is what I've learned from reading the book that contained Paul's diary entries. This is the case of Paul Amadeus Dinak. This story takes place in 1922 and 3906. Let's see what was happening around the world in 1922. We'll get into what was happening in 3906 later. I know I said 1921 a moment ago and in the description, but that's because May 1921 was when he fell into the coma. He awoke in 1922, a year later. I watched a movie called 1922 a while ago, and it was really good. It's based on a Stephen King book. It's on Netflix if you want to check it out. 1922 was 100 years ago. During this year, the most famous person in America was Babe Ruth. Coca-Cola's first polar bear advertisement was published. The average life expectancy for men was 58 years, and for women, it was 61 years. That sounds really young. There were a lot of disease and famine going on during this time, and everything seemed colorless. Gummy bears were created in Germany. The U.S. Postmaster General declared that all houses had to have a mailbox or you would not be able to receive mail. That still stands today. The average household income was $3,143. And lastly, this was the year that the lovely Betty White was born. She passed away just a few weeks ago. The problem with these old stories is that a lot of the details are murky. It's hard to separate what is true and what isn't because a lot of the records of this event have been rewritten so many times. It's also a different language, so many of the details are lost in translation. Normally, I give you guys exact dates and details about the subject of the story, but for this one, it's just kind of general details about the person. Paul was a Swiss-Austrian teacher. He specializes as a language instructor of German and French. He always had dreams of being a teacher, and that's just what he did. Paul was madly in love with a woman named Anna, who unfortunately married someone else who was a very rich man. Folks say that once she got married, he sank deep into depression, which in turn affected his health. Anna died of illness soon after she was married. That is incredibly sad. From everything I gather, Paul never married, nor did he have any children. It seems like his mother was his closest friend. Paul was so deeply depressed that he started contemplating suicide. He didn't attempt it, but he was comforted by the fact that the option was there if he needed an out. If at any point in time he just wanted to stop and get off, he could do that. In 1919, Paul gets ill from a disease that was around at that time. The disease was called bear with me now, <laughs> encephalitis lethargica. 
It's more commonly known as the sleeping illness, which is what I'm going to continue to call it because I don't want to pronounce that again. In Europe, between 1916 and 1924, this was a really big thing, like an epidemic. It affected roughly half a million people. If you caught it, you fell asleep for long periods at a time, sometimes actual comas, and some never woke up from them. I looked up the definition, and it read that it was a disease characterized by high fever, headache, double vision, delayed physical and mental response, and lethargy. In acute cases, patients may enter a coma. I read that people can still get it today, but it's very, very, very rare. The cause of how it ever came to be is still a mystery. So Paul starts falling asleep very often, sometimes even in the middle of tasks. He falls asleep sometimes for only a few minutes. Other times, it's two days. At this point, it's considered a coma. Paul was in a coma for two weeks and awakens and his mother is there and she's telling him how worried she was and she's so thankful he woke up. A physician was there as well. Two years later, Paul falls into a deep coma. This is unlike the previous one. This is a very deep coma. He is placed in the hospital where he can be observed. He is in the coma for one year. Paul awakens and everyone at the hospital is stunned and can't believe he's finally woken up. He was gone for 12 months. He says how wonderful the villagers are at welcoming him back into the world again. He is amazed at their genuine happiness for him. Paul begins asking for his mother and learns that during the time when he was in the coma, his mother passed away. He is devastated knowing that she died before ever getting to see him strong again. Now, Paul is a changed man since he's awoken from the coma, but not just because of his mother's death. Paul is acting more spiritual and enlightened. He says he wants to apologize to the Italian priest for ever doubting him, and he feels a deep guilt for his lack of faith. See, Paul is carefully guarding a secret that he is carrying with him. The secret is what he experienced while in the coma. He doesn't want to be considered a lunatic by everyone. Paul writes in his diary that he wishes his mother was here because he would tell her everything. Paul moves to Athens, Greece, and he also learns that he contracted tuberculosis during his stay in the hospital. Paul is only 37 years old, but he knows he only has a couple years left. He's starting to feel a lot of aches and pains. Tuberculosis is a horrible condition that is an infection in your lungs. One day, Paul's landlady knocked on his door. He opens it and he is like overjoyed. He's acting ecstatic and he is on cloud nine. He gives her a big hug and tells her he is going to document everything. He says, after all I've been through, I'm still here. He wants to get this all on paper before he passes away or falls into another coma. He says he has a bad cough and a high fever, but he was going to get all of this down. The landlady, I'm sure, is standing there like, what the hell are you talking about? Paul decides he's going to document his experience of what happened in the coma in his diary, and he couldn't be more excited. Paul says in his diary that what he is about to write seems crazy to most, but he experienced the whole thing. He says, do not try to tell him that it was just a dream because there is no such thing as a year-long dream. He lived a life during those 12 months. It just wasn't his own. Paul writes, and these are his words, quote, my case has nothing to do with inspiration and creation. I was never blessed with such gifts and you cannot lose what you never had. 
My case is about a traveler who never spoke of his adventures and has finally decided to break his silence. I have no friends. My mother is dead. I'm completely alone in this world. Whoever you are who ends up reading my manuscripts, be my friend and feel me. Do not laugh and mock me. I've been tried and tested a great deal during my life. Everything you read, I've seen with my own eyes. I've lived it. I've touched it. I worship it. I will not return to my homeland. I made my decision. I do not need obligatory superficial relationships with the neighbors. I just want to tell my story in the most precise way possible, and I want to tell it to the end, end quote. As a side note, reading that makes me realize just how lonely Paul really was. He mentioned he lost his mother and he has no friends. This may explain why he hugged his landlady and jumped up and down with excitement. He finally had someone who he could tell his excitement to. Paul asks us in his writing to be his friend and not mock or laugh at him. So I'm going to, you know, go into this with an open mind. But what Paul says happens while in the coma is like something out of a movie. So let's begin. Paul says he awakens and realizes he's in a hospital of some sort, but it's not really a hospital, and he's feeling hurt all over. Things are aching. He says there are bandages covering his face and the rest of his head. Paul looks around, and everything is made out of crystals and gold and diamonds, at least it appears to be. Lots of objects were pastel colors, almost like what you would imagine heaven to look like. This is very strange to him. Remember, he is a man from 1922, and he's not used to seeing such lavish things. He can see out of a large window and sees a beautiful countryside-type place. Everything seems unreal, and he's almost not even able to describe it. On the 12th day, Paul is able to walk. He says standing up and walking made his pains go away. He believes he's fully recovered, but he has these bandages on his head that still cover his face. He also had a rotation of two doctors that would come in and see him. He is visited by Dr. Johannes Jaeger, and the doctor tells him everything is fine. You are getting better. Just take it easy. The chief doctor is Professor Molson. He continually hears whispers from the doctors talking about him, but they are referring to him not by his name, but rather another man's name, Andreas Northam. So he's thinking to himself, who the heck is Andreas Northam and why do they think I'm him? Paul is trying to understand what language they are speaking. He is having a lot of difficulty understanding them. Remember, he's a language instructor. He hears undertones of Scandinavia and English and he recognizes some of the words, but he still has never heard this language. He can pick up on their language better than most and was able to understand more of what they say eventually. I guess it would be like if you or I got, you know, got dropped into the year 1700 and we hear people talking. I looked up some words that are from the 17th century, which was fun to do. A nipperkin is a small glass of liquor. The word lunacy was used, and today we call it madness. The word delirium was used to describe excitement. Now you can see what is happening with Paul. He can make out what they're saying, but it takes some work, just like it would you or I if we were dropped into the 17th century. It wouldn't be until Paul stands in front of a mirror and begins unraveling his bandages on his head that he realizes it's not him he sees. Paul is living in another man's body. The man is Andreas Northam. Paul is no longer the dying man living in Athens, Greece in 1922. He is living in the year 3906, which was like a whole other sucker punch. 
To put that into perspective, imagine taking a man from 1922 and dropping him in the year 2022, which is 100 years later and it's today. Well, this is 1,984 years into the future. Paul freaks out, which is completely understandable. He is in such a frenzy that the nurses weren't even allowed in the room. It takes days for Paul to calm down. Paul learns Andreas was in a severe car accident. He essentially died, but was able to be revived somehow by freezing his brain. We're talking 3906 here, guys. There's probably been a million medical advancements since then. So Paul realizes they must think Andreas was able to come back to life, but it was actually Paul's consciousness that arrived in Andreas' body. Somehow something was messed up during this whole transmission, and that is what we end up with, like something out of a sci-fi movie. Paul is going to play along with it and not reveal that he is not Andreas. Now, Paul still remembers his mother and the woman, Anna, he was in love with, and he is having a lot of difficulty sleeping, like awake for days and weeks at a time. He's thinking about his life back in 1922, and his insomnia gets so bad that the doctors call for a small group of men to come visit him. Paul is very much in awe by this group, and so are the doctors and nurses. They are like the elders, I guess we would call them. Paul doesn't know if they are priests or kings or what they are, but they are making him feel intimidated. They are called the electors, and they are actually the spiritual leaders of this beautiful futuristic society. Paul begins to get very emotional. He breaks down to these men and confesses everything. He says he's from the year 1921. This body is not mine. My name is Paul, not Andreas. He doesn't know how he got here. The men seem to understand everything that Paul is telling them, and they assure him he's okay. Time and consciousness are just an illusion. Paul begins to think he's fallen through a time travel portal somehow. So Paul decides if he's here, he's going to make the best of it. He wants to learn all he can about the future and what has happened between 1922 and 3906. One of the electors tell, teaches Paul their language. He gives Paul this device that can translate words for him. You and I have that capability on our smartphones, but to someone from 1922, where only half the population had a small amount of electricity in their homes, this is like almost impossible to comprehend. Only four people know the true identity of Paul, and that's the two electors and Paul's two physicians. Paul asks them not to tell anyone else for fear he'd become a scientific study or whatever. One elector tells him there's a place called the Valley of the Roses, and there his fate will be decided if he is going to have his secret shared with the whole population or not. Paul gets a visitor and is shocked to learn that this visitor is Andrea's best friend, Stefan. Well, Stefan begins to realize, this is not my friend, Andreas. Who are you and what have you done with him? But Stefan is pretty chill about it. When Paul is discharged, Stefan shows him around the future. Can you imagine riding in a fast car compared to what Paul was used to if he even got to ride in a car before? This gives me like Encino Man vibes. Remember when Paulie Shore and Sean Astin have uh, Brendan Fraser, who is a recently thought out caveman, and they take him to high school and try to make him blend in? I need to watch Encino Man very soon. <laughs> Paul discovers that he owns this house in Scandinavia, and it is gorgeous with views and every amenity. I guess he really hit the jackpot. If you're going to be in someone else's body, at least it was this wealthy guy with lots of friends. Both are things that Paul didn't have. 
He and Stefan and their group of friends don't even have jobs. They just play all day on boats and sing and dance and travel. It's like a never-ending vacation. At this point, I'm wondering if Andreas is in Paul's body and dealing with tuberculosis, poverty, and famine. If that's the case, I'm sure he's not having as good of a time. Paul is confused about how these men don't have to work. How are they able to just live like royalty? Stefan explains that in the future, they have what you call a two-year service. Basically, you graduate high school at 17, and then from ages 17 to 19, you are assigned a job in the city. In that two-year period, you make enough money for the rest of your life. I mean, that sounds completely fair to me, and can we make this a thing, you know, retire at 19 years old? Paul isn't sleeping. He's been without sleep for quite some time. The doctors assure him that he is fine and lack of sleep won't affect him. He's not going to die from not sleeping. Stefan and Paul become very close friends. They share a bond that is like more than what Stefan had with the real Andreas. Stefan takes Paul to one of these cities and there he sees flying cars and beautiful architecture. Paul describes some of the things he saw, which solidifies his story because much of this stuff wouldn't come out until much later than 1922. Not the flying cars part, but he claimed mankind would struggle with apocalyptic wars, starvation, overpopulation, and the destruction of the environment between 2000 and 2300. He also says that humanity will suffer its most devastating war yet in 2309, and a lot of the world's population is wiped out and started over. Paul says in 3906, money is not really a thing. No one is impressed about how much money you have. Your status is determined by spirituality. That is what separates the rich from the poor, how spiritual you are. He also said medication isn't really a thing anymore. Instead, it's meditation and relaxation that heals you. There's no real politics. Instead, it's like a global consciousness. He also says we have a regular uh, contact with aliens. There are neighbors next door and space, and we say hello just like we do our neighbors here on Earth. Once Paul has been in 3906 for a year, he knows it's time to go off to the Valley of the Roses where his fate will be determined and if he will be outed as this man from 2,000 years ago and living in another man's body. To get to this place, Paul and Stefan have to take this method of transportation that is a flying boat. Don't ask me how a flying boat operates because I have zero clue. They go down an artificial river and into the Mediterranean. When they get there, Paul says the city is the most beautiful place he's ever seen so far. It's made up of rivers and lush gardens full of roses. The buildings aren't like city buildings today. They're more like temples and they're covered in gemstones and everything is sparkling. Remember I told you that your social status isn't based on money and possessions in 3906, but instead your spirituality? Well, the Valley of the Roses is the land of the rich and famous. These are the most spiritual leaders in the world. These are scientists and philosophers, and each one is like Pope status as we would consider them. Paul stays at this place for a few weeks, learning about the greatest thinkers in time. Philosophy is like the key to everything in this time period. Paul likes to stay up all night looking at the city lights and admiring all the beauty when he is hit with a wave of sadness. He begins thinking about his life in 1922, his real life, not Andreas's life. He thinks of his true love, Anna, and his mother, and is feeling nostalgic He's feeling very close to them, unlike he has been for the past year. 
He asked Stefan, how can I still have these feelings for Anna? I'm in another country, another lifetime. I'm 2,000 years ahead of her. Stefan says that is because his love for Anna was transcended. It's beyond this lifetime. Paul realizes Anna is his be-all, end-all, and reality begins to set in. He suddenly feels very faint and drowsy and falls into a deep sleep. This is the first time Paul has slept in a whole year. Paul wakes up, and it's 1922. He has been in a coma for a whole year. So he's in his own personal body. And he's in a hospital in Switzerland. People are gasping to see him wake up. It's a much different environment from what he's been in for the past year. Paul is 100% sure that what happened to him was real. He knows no one is going to believe him. He doesn't say a word about it to anyone. A year later, we're in 1923 now. Paul writes everything down. Remember, we discussed this near the beginning. Paul is dying from tuberculosis, and he has to get this out. Not to tell people, but just to put it in writing for his own sanity. As Paul is close to his death, one of his students named George comes into possession of Paul's diaries. Some say Paul gave it to him so that he could practice the language. Others say he just found it in Paul's stuff. Either way, Paul did not think this story was ever going to get out, and that's not what he wanted anyway. It took George 14 years to translate Paul's diary. He did it during his free time and summer breaks. George is reading these diary entries, and he's like, holy shit, as any of us would be. George gives the diary to a couple secret societies like the Freemasons. He hopes they will be able to shed some light on what all this means. The Masons thought this was serious enough that they kept the diary a secret. In 1972, George decides he's going to publish Paul's diary. The Masons haven't done anything with it in a few decades. George is an elderly man. The book didn't do so well, and it's virtually unheard of. So in 1979, George published it again, and he calls the book The Valley of the Roses. 1972 and 1979 sound really far from 1922. Now we're going to get into more modern day. In 2015, George has been dead for almost 25 years. He passed sometime in 1991 at the age of 86 years old. A man named Achilles, who is a Greek writer and also a TV producer, Achilles finds an original copy of the book. Achilles is from modern day, and he's like, wow, this is some wild stuff. He translates the book to English. And that is when it becomes much more popular and people like myself learned of Paul's experience. The book is titled Chronicles from the Future. It's a good read, but its interpretation will be different to each person who reads it. To wrap this up, Paul was indeed a real live man. He died in 1924. Whether or not you believe what happened to him was true or not is something personal for you to decide. I want to believe him, but the reality side of me makes it seem like this was all just a coma dream. I'm no doctor or expert philosopher. I'm no one who would have any of knowledge whatsoever of this stuff. So don't take my word for it that it did or did not happen. But remember, Paul was so freaked out about it that he didn't tell a soul. He just wrote his thoughts on in, you know, in his diary, and he had no knowledge that one day it would be published for you and I to read. Paul was not a writer, a poet, or an author. He was a language instructor. I feel like a lot of Paul's writing could have been lost in translation and maybe formatted to fit George's narrative. I don't know enough about George to make that determination. 
I know George did a lot with his life. He was a Greek jurist, which is like the Greek version of a judge. He received his PhD in law in 1932. There's a Wikipedia page devoted to him, and I'll link it in the sources. I did some browsing on Reddit just to see what others in this day and age think of this story, and it seems like a lot believe it's not true, and it's just a well-written sci-fi novel. Others believe this is absolutely true, and just reading the book has changed their lives. That's it for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this one-off, even though it was different from my normal content. Thanks for sticking around. My sources are listed in the description area of the video. Take care, and much love.